If you will, go ahead and make your way back to your seats, but remain standing with us as we continue in worship with Have Faith in God. Let's sing together. Have faith in God when your pathway is lonely. He sees and knows all the way you have trod. Never alone are the least of his children. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches o'er his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God when your prayers are unanswered. Your earnest plea he will never forget. Wait on the Lord, trust his word and be patient. Have faith in God, he'll answer yet. Have faith in God, he's on his throne. Have faith in God, he watches on his own. He cannot fail, he must prevail. Have faith in God, have faith in God. Have faith in God, though all else fail about you. Have faith in God, he provides for his own. He cannot fail, though all kingdoms shall perish. He rules, he reigns upon his throne. Have faith in God, he's on his throne. Have faith in God, he watches o'er his own. He cannot fail, he must prevail. Have faith in God, have faith in God. Amen. We're going to continue now with great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, now forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. 
Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see, all I have needed thy hand hath provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our God and Father, our Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus, who lived and died and rose again. Thank you that we have a reason to come and worship together. Thank you that we can give gifts, and you multiply those gifts and further your kingdom. Please do that right now. Please be glorified as we return what you gave to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Give Him the glory. Great things He hath done. We are glad to see you today. Take your Bibles if you would. Find Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 12 through 17. If you'll have your Bibles ready, continuing our trek this January through the seven churches, talking about being on mission here, there, and everywhere. And We're glad that you've shown up bright and early this morning, uh, ready to worship and study God's Word. Good things in store. Some have wondered why there's a tent out in our front. I'm not going to tell you why, but this could be a mystery. But some have asked, you've had good. Are we having a tent revival? Hopefully we need a much bigger tent. Is it the overflow room for when we fill up? That would be nice, I guess, as well. Some of you have to sit in the cold, but uh, you will find out soon enough. But it does look like we have something going on here at the church, doesn't it? Well, guess what? Tent or not, we always have something going on, something going on good here at the church. I know that you're glad to be able to take part. We are in Revelation chapter 2. This now is the Word of God, beginning with verse 12. Would you stand and honor the reading of God's Word today? And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word. And you may be seated. It is without a doubt that which has dominated the news the first two weeks of 2019 and the last couple of weeks of 2018. The government has shut down at least partially for now. The president is determined to get his funding for a wall on much of the southern border. Congress is determined not to let that happen. Political reasons abound on both sides. Some of them may even be legitimate. If it were not for the hundreds of thousands of government workers who did not receive a paycheck this week, we might say, well, just let them fight it out on Capitol Hill. Now, we might think, those of us who are on the outside looking in, we might say, well, surely there's a place for a compromise so that we might be able just to move on. Now, this is not a political statement whatsoever. I just want you to see a very live illustration working out in front of us, at least in this portion of it or this part. In some things, there are room, there is room for compromise. There are some things in which we are able to compromise with and about. But in some things, there is no room for compromise. The truth about who Jesus is, the truth about the way to salvation, the truth and what we know about God's Word, there is no room for compromise. Now we're to seek to be on mission for God's church. And our building blocks in the first two churches that we've talked about in Revelation, we've talked about there was the church of Ephesus. And in order to be on mission, we know that we must be a people who love one another. Love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ first and foremost. Find that first love and Let that translate to loving God, loving those inside the church and those outside the church. And then we find even in the second church, the church of Smyrna, it's about faithfulness. It's about uh, being faithful unto death, as the Scripture says. Even when we go through trials and tribulations, we want to be sure that we are walking with Him and we are being faithful to the task He has before us. 
We've already seen how the church of Ephesus and the church of Smyrna are very practical. And the church at Pergamum that we read today, or Pergamus, depending on your translation, may be the most practical and relevant yet. While you may or may not have been part of the last two studies that we had in the first couple of churches, do not worry. I'm going to tell you what it is that you need to know in order to help us with today's focus. But the church of Smyrna, the second church, well, the third church today, the church of Smyrna was being attacked from without, from without, from the outside. They were being persecuted and they were encouraged to remain faithful. Well, the church at Pergamum that we read about today, they had some problems and they were being attacked actually from within. They were being tempted to compromise. Well, of the two churches, guess which one remained stronger? It's the church that was attacked from the outside. Because sometimes it is even more difficult to remain strong and sometimes it is a tougher road when the attacks come from within. The problem then and the problem today is about believers who are compromising with the world and leading others to do the same instead of living for Jesus. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 when he says, Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's what I want us to accomplish in these few minutes that we have together today. I want us to have a passion for Christ which will lead you and me to a desire never to compromise our faith, but to live a life and have a church that glorifies God and is a witness to the world for Jesus. But for you and I to be able to, uh, uh, be able to understand this passage, to be able to apply it, we've got to be able to understand it. But when you come across names like Balaam and Balak and Antipas and even the Nicolaitans who showed up in our passage last Sunday... You might be put off a little bit if you do not recognize those names. Or, what is it to being talked about this uh, hidden manna or this mysterious white stone or the new name that no one's ever heard of before? Hopefully you find this more intriguing than tedious. But unless you're a Bible scholar or you have a good Bible dictionary, you might have a hard time being able to understand and make the right application today. But fortunately, you have me. Because I am a Bible, I have a good Bible dictionary. And I can Google as well, but you need to be careful what you find sometimes online. But we're going to talk about some of these things so that we might be able to understand. But here's a great Bible lesson. When you come to a passage and there are names or there are things that you don't quite understand at first, what you want to do is you want to be able to look at those things that you do understand. What is it that you can understand and then maybe be able to go from there? We'll read here in verse 12, the very first, first verse that we read a moment ago. I know what a sword is, okay? And I know what most of the time, what the sword of Jesus Christ represents. Now you have some notes there before you, and we understand in order to live this world without compromising my walk or my faith, I'm going to encourage you to look at two kinds of swords that we need to watch out for. Watch and pay attention, first of all, to the sword of Jesus Christ. Jesus is described as having a sharp two-edged sword coming out of His mouth. Now the sword of Jesus almost always represents the Word of God. It is synonymous with the sword of the Spirit as well. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 where he says, And take the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. 
we're reminded of what John wrote in his gospel. John's the writer of Revelation. He began his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, now, who is he talking about as the Word? Most of you know he's talking about Jesus. We know that Jesus is called the Word because He is the perfect and complete communication from heaven about the truth of God because He is God. So it only makes sense that, that out of His mouth is what would come is the Word of God. And when Jesus wrote each church here in Revelation, He used a description of Himself for that particular church. In the words of Jesus to this church, we find characteristics about the sword of Jesus and what the sword of the Word of God does for the members of the church. And we'll talk about three qualities of the sword of Christ that we learn from this passage and from God's Word. And the first one is this. The sword of Christ brings sanctification. It's one of those biblical words, but it's good for us to be able to know. I'm going to tell you a very simple definition of sanctification. That's Christians becoming more like Christ. It's the setting apart or the separation from the worldly or the sinful world for a greater purpose. Learning to live in this world, but not be like the world and not be of the world. Which is really the big picture of what's being said here and what Jesus is communicating in this passage. We find that word again in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 where it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now there were those in the church who seemed actually to define sanctification. If you look at verse 13, the very first part of that verse it says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. Now the reference to Satan's throne was not referring to the church. The church is not having Satan's throne. It was about the city, the city of Pergamos, or Pergamum sometimes it is called. It's another way of saying that this was sin city. Now when you think of what would be sin city in the United States, what, is it, what city would you probably think of? No, it's not Tuscaloosa. It says Satan's throne, not Saban's throne. So we'll get that out of the way. Maybe Las Vegas sometimes is called Sin City. Maybe even Hollywood. Maybe even Washington, D.C. perhaps. Well, Jesus called Pergamos Sin City, probably because of the idol worship that took place. There are many, many idols that were in that city. And there was a particular temple to Zeus, the father of the gods, that were there. Immorality was rampant. It was a dark place spiritually. But I do want you to see some parallels to the place and places in which we live. Because while most of us do not actually see the idol worship like it was taking place there, there is idolatry that is, being, that is taking place all around us. Mostly in the form of materialism. Immorality also in our day, in our time, in our culture, it seems to be more the norm than morality does. And those who make up the church, the body of Christ, are to be sanctified. They're to be set apart for a greater purpose. And some in the church held fast to the name of Jesus and did not deny the faith. And you've got to decide if you want to do the same. If you want to continue to be sanctified, becoming more like Christ. But you need to know that it does not happen without intent. Is sanctification going to take place in your heart, in your life? And if it's going to, you understand it's going to be a lifetime process. We never stop being sanctified. We never stop growing to be more like Christ. We used to sing a song in a service like this and still sing it maybe from time to time. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You know, and sometimes it, we realize it truly is and it truly should be. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes, in some days, 
we find walking with Jesus might be tougher than the day before. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that there would be tough days along the way for those who follow Jesus. But it should be that even in the tough days, every day with Jesus, we should grow more to be like Jesus than the day before. And there should be a sweeter fellowship every day as we grow with Jesus. Well, how do we do that? What are the tools for sanctification? Well, I think we're given that there in the Scripture, even with the description of the sword of Christ, because it's about a relationship with the living Lord, who is Jesus, and being in the written Word, which are the words of Christ, and certainly the words in His Word that we have, the Bible that we possess. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's the key to this passage that we're talking about today. In your spiritual journey, there is no standing still. You're either becoming more like Christ, being sanctified, or you're becoming more like the world and compromising along the way. I hope that you choose sanctification over compromising. But there's another quality of the sword of Christ that we might notice here. The sword of Christ brings salvation. And maybe it is even the most obvious. It brings salvation to all those who hear it and receive it by faith. Now sanctification is only possible for those who have received salvation, who have been saved, have a relationship with Jesus. And if you're saved today, you know it is because of you, though, the one who is the truth. And it is that Jesus is the way and the only way. If you don't know Jesus today, it is the message from God's Word that offers you new life in Christ. It is my prayer that even today, if there are someone or there are those who do not know Jesus or who need to make a public stand, that you will be bold today and that you will give your heart and life to Christ, even at the end of this service and before we leave the room today. We find also about God's Word, Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of both soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. It is the discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. You know, over the years, many people have told me, sometimes right after the service, sometimes a week later, they'll say to me, they'll, they'll say, you know, preacher, I almost came down today. I almost made a decision and made a commitment to that day or that Sunday or that particular. Now, some of those who've said that have gone on to make decisions or gone on to make their decisions public, but not all. But, you know, almost doesn't make you a better person. Almost does not give somebody a relationship, nor does just walking an aisle. But I do know this. If you don't know Jesus Christ today or if you are far away today because of the power of God's Word that we've read about today, talked about in Hebrews, 1 Timothy 3.16, because of that power, I know today that the Lord is using that to begin to tap onto your heart. It's, it's because His Spirit is present. The Word of God, the truth is being spoken. We understand that that takes place. Now, you can reject it, you can deny it, you can reject it so many times that you barely feel it. But for sure today, we know that God is working even through His truth so that you might begin or have a right relationship with Him because the Word of God is living and powerful. And when Jesus knocks on your heart door, you have to let Him come in. He's not going to barge in. You've got to let Him in by faith. Now, if you already know Jesus as Savior, you also need to know that the Word of God is living and powerful for your salvation. It's what brought you 
into the family of God. It's what's living in power for your sanctification, for the improvement, becoming more like Christ, and for the opportunity for you to be able to tell others. That last part of verse 13 comes one of those names maybe you've not heard before or only in this passage where it says, Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you. What we know about Antipas was that he was killed for his faith in the city where Satan dwells. Now, what, what was Antipas called? He was called by Jesus, my faithful witness. Now, the word for witness is the same word for where we get the word martyr. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to be a witness, particularly in certain times and places, well, you might have to become a martyr, be willing to give your life. Or it could be said, if you're a martyr and you're losing your life for the Lord Jesus, you're giving your life for the Lord Jesus, automatically you are a witness before others. Antipas represents believers who are willing to share their faith regardless of the cost or the condition. And here is the church in the city of Pergamos, where it's repeated twice, this is where Satan dwells. This is where Satan's throne is. Can you think of a better place where there needed to be a witness or where there needed to be an uncompromising church than in sin city where Satan lives? Friends, look around. There is no other time and in no other place in the world where the church needs to be in the world, but not of the world, sharing the Word. You'll hear this repeated, I think, maybe many times in 2019. Who's your one? It's not to make you feel guilty. It is, though, maybe to give some encouragement because we want everyone, all of the members of Parkway Baptist Church, to be sharing their faith, giving their testimony, leading one person to Jesus, at least one person to Jesus in 2019. You may, may scare us sometimes we think about, am I really supposed to share my faith sometime this year? Well, we'll encourage you certainly to be able to do that. You'll be surprised if you begin to ask, Lord, who's going to be my one? How He'll lay somebody on your heart or give you that opportunity because for those who are willing, the Lord gives opportunity to be able to share. There's another quality we have of the sword of Jesus Christ, and it's the sword of Christ brings sorrow. Sort of Christ brings sorrow to those who refuse to repent. When the truth is preached and taught and the warning's not heeded, judgment is coming. We read verse 16 a moment ago where it says, Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. You know, in every church there is a mixed group of people. Just about every church that's ever existed, it was true in that day and it's true in today. There are those who are faithful followers. Those are the ones that are mentioned in verse 13. Hold fast to the faith. Hold fast and true to the Lord Jesus. Some are worldly Christians or carnal Christians, what the Bible calls carnal believers, genuinely saved, but they have compromised with the world so much so that they're living more like the world than they are like Jesus. And then there are some that are even in the churches who are not Christians, who are lost not Christians at all. They don't really have a relationship with Jesus. They may be going through some religious practice but do not know Jesus personally. Pergamos had all three in their church. Every church probably has an element of all three. I encourage you not to list those of our church who you think is who, except to identify where you fit in. Jesus told a parable. In fact, I think we went over this parable earlier in the year. We talked about parables several months ago and from Matthew chapter 13 called the parable of the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds. And in the parable, 
the owner has the workers come and plant good seed. They planted good seed for wheat to be able to grow. But then it said while they were sleeping, the enemy came in and planted weeds amongst the wheat. And then when it began to grow, the workers went to the owner and said, do you want us to pull up all the weeds? And at this time, he said, no, not at this time, because if you pull up some of the weeds now, some of the good seeds, some of the wheat will be pulled up as all. But wait until the harvest time. And when the harvest time comes, then I want you to pull all of the weeds and gather them and they will be burned. And then gather all of the wheat and it will be brought into my barn. You see some of the ideas about the kingdom perhaps already in that passage. But it is prophecy that the sword of Jesus will bring judgment on all those who do not belong to Him. But even in that parable and even as we talk about it today in this church, it is also grace because there is hope. There is hope until the appointed time. But that's not all Jesus is saying to the church. For many in the church who are genuinely Christians have compromised with the world so much that the world can see no difference. And Jesus said to those who have compromised, unless you repent, Jesus will come with sword in hand and fight against you so that the church will be sanctified. It is a sorrowful picture of Jesus having to fight against His own children in order that His kingdom might keep growing and moving forward. Why would Jesus paint such a picture or such an illustration for us? so that we might pay attention to His sword, which is what? The Word of God, to be sure that we're on the correct side of the sword of Christ. That is an uncompromising truth. But there's another sword that we need to pay attention to. We've talked about paying attention to the sword of Christ. We also need to pay attention to the sword of Satan. Now the phrase, sword of Satan, is not actually used in this passage, but I just use it today so that we might be able to understand and be aware of His destructive forces. That you may want to turn with me. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 20. We're Revelation 3, a few pages over, depending on how big your Bible is. But in Revelation chapter 20, we have first couple of verses there. Verse 1 says this, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the keys to the bottomless pit in a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Read on down if you would. Pick up at verse 7. Verse 7 says, And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. We do know this. Regardless of what we put the timing of revelation and all this, Satan one day will be bound forever and ever. But for now, you know what Jesus calls him? He is the prince of this world. And I got to tell you, Jesus did not mean for for that to be a compliment. He's loose on this earth. His name, Satan, means enemy or adversary. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, be self-controlled and alert. Pay attention. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now the sword of Jesus is double-edged. It brings life. It cuts away our sin. And it also brings judgment. The sword of Satan only cuts one way. It only destroys. And Jesus may have called the city of Pergamos the throne of Satan because here 
was the first temple of the Roman emperor who was worshipped there. First place the Roman emperor was worshipped was here in the city of Pergamos. And for three centuries, Rome was the enemy of the church. And the symbol of Rome was what? It was a drawn sword. So don't you know when this church reads that the sword of Jesus is a living, active, double-edged sword. Uh, It brought comfort to the church because the sword of Jesus is much greater, much larger than the sword of Satan. There was a particular God in Pergamum that was also worshipped. The name of that God, not mentioned here, but the name of that God we know of is Dionysus. Now, Dionysus would be described at least for a time in earlier days. He had the upper body of a man with the horns on his head, lower body of a goat with a tail and cloven hoofs. Do I need to say that again? Who does that sound like? Well, sounds like what we picture the devil. It's where we get the picture of the medieval pictures of the devil. You know what? Dionysus is the god of he's the god of wine and drunkenness which I find interesting one of the features of Satan's sword is that it is a stumbling block even to those who are saved those who are in the church who are compromising with the world and leading others to do the same that's what is meant by verse 14 there are some who hold to the teachings of Balaam who taught Balak how to be a stumbling block before the children of Israel Apparently the next verse, the Nicolaitans apparently taught the same thing. Do you know the story of Balaam and Balak in the Old Testament? It's found in Numbers 22. And uh, we'll not go to that, but I will tell you a part of the story today. It's, uh, it's one of those Old Testament stories that I just love. You think, well, Numbers is just full of numbers, but it's got some great stories in there. But in this particular one, Balaam was a gifted orator and prophet. Balak was the king of Moab, some one of Israel's enemies. And Balak bribed Balaam, the prophet, to come and curse the Israelites. And in the story, he's on his way to go and curse the Israelites, and he's riding on a donkey. And as he comes along, the, as they're riding on the donkey, there's an angel with a drawn sword. Also, drawn sword being used in the passage. The angel with a drawn sword standing in the way. But Balaam, the prophet, did not see the angel. But you know who did? The donkey saw the angel. Donkey tried to avoid the angel with a drawn sword three times till finally he fell down flat with Balaam still on the donkey. Scripture says that Balaam began to beat on that donkey. And though it sounds like something that would come more out of the movie Shrek, the Bible says the donkey did speak and said to Balaam, why are you beating on me? I've been faithful to you. And then the most amazing part to me was not that the donkey spoke, was that Balaam talked back to the donkey. Well, through this event, we find that Balaam, even though he confessed his sins at that time, he continued to try to curse God in the chapters that follow. But every time he opened his mouth to try to to curse the Israelites, but every time he opened his mouth to try to curse the Israelites, instead, blessings came out for God's people. So he finally told the king of Moab how he might be a stumbling block to God's people. He told me, you're not going to defeat Israel's army. He said, but if you'll invite them to some of your pagan idol feast, I believe they'll be compromised. And the king of Moab invited them to some of their pagan feast. And there they began to 
eat food that had been offered to idols. Some of them bowed down to idols. They were involved also with sexual immorality with the Moabite women. And as a result, 24,000 Israelites died with the plague. God's people cannot be cursed. But God help us, we can be compromised. Since Satan cannot defeat you if you're a true child of God, he entices you to compromise the world. He's not necessarily trying to get you to come over to his side because if you're in the family of God, you are always in the family of God. Once you're in the family of God, Romans 8 tells you nothing can separate you from his love. But he wants you to compromise so that you will not influence others to become part of the family of God. You see, his desire, his goal is opposite of what Jesus' goal is and that is to bring more people into the kingdom than have been before, as many people as they can into the kingdom. So Satan's strategy is if he can get you and I, if he can cause us to compromise our faith, then more or less people will be brought into the kingdom. His primary strategy is to keep Christians from acting like Christians. A chaplain at a so-called Christian college told the students at chapel, sex before marriage is okay as long as it's with someone you love. The old traditional ways don't apply anymore. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's compromising with the world. God's ways have always and will always be relevant. It'll be what is best for us. and It'll be what is, helps to influence others for the kingdom. Dionysus, the god of alcohol and drunkenness, reminds us of compromise. What's the harm of one or two drinks? What's it going to hurt unless it leads to more, to others having more? In my short three decades, almost four decades of ministry, I can tell you story after story of lives and families that have been destroyed by alcohol. Teenagers becoming alcoholics. And the one who gave them their first drink was an adult in the home and sometimes in the church. New believers who have left the church, who were saved by Jesus out of a life of alcoholism, but left the church after being around church members who were drinking. We have laid to rest church members and family members who have died due to alcohol-related deaths. But my purpose is not to keep you from drinking. My purpose is not to keep you from being drunk. My purpose is to bring as many to Christ as possible. But I guarantee you this. One of Satan's top tools that the enemy is using for his purposes and his strategy is the use of alcohol. Don't compromise your faith and your witness. Same is true of chemical dependency, of substance abuse, greed, popularity, just to name a few. We can compromise the truth or we can, by not speaking up when we need and be silent instead. We can be unkind and unloving when we need to love people radically and unconditionally. Often it starts out very slowly, slow compromising gradually and builds to something better. That's why we need to watch out. That's why we need to be alert. That's why we need to pay attention. The world says you can be a Christian, just don't be too fanatic about it. But being a member of this church and being a believer in the Lord Jesus should make a difference. You see, we've gone about this thing all wrong. We've tried to say to the world, we're just like you. Come on and come and be a part of us. We'll all be just alike together. We're no different from you. But the world's not going to be changed. The world's not looking for sameness. What the world is looking for is something that is unique, something that will be, bring change in their life. 
You see, we need to let people know, yes, we are different because of who Jesus is. We have been changed. We've been made brand new. The Bible says that we are a peculiar people. Now, some of us are more peculiar than others, you realize. But we are made new in Christ. Nowhere does the Bible say the world ought to be different. No, the world needs to find Jesus. People will not want to come here, turn their life over to Jesus because they get more of the same. People need something unique and a change that's only found in Jesus. Well, Christians who have compromised their faith, what are we to do? He tells us here. We're to repent. Be different, more like Christ. Be sanctified for the work and the mission that Jesus has for you. Jesus stands ready to forgive. And for those who do not repent and live for Christ, the sword of Jesus fights against you because you're leading people one way and Jesus is leading people another way. Which side of the sword will you be on? A compromising carnal Christian may do more harm in the kingdom than an unbeliever who curses God openly. For the unbelievers not claiming Christ at all. Two preachers attend a conference in a large city, and after the conference, they're walking back to their hotel in the city street, and they see in one of the side streets and one of the alleyways, there's one man beating on another. One of the preachers kind of runs toward him and starts to yell at him at the top of his lungs, and the man who was beating suddenly stopped, looked his way, got up, and began to run the other way. Well, Preacher's feeling pretty puffed up at this point. He said, you better run if you know what's good for you. Then he turns and looks around to see behind him. Been standing the whole time was the bouncer from the bar next door, six foot three, 280 pounds. You see, it's not so much who you are, but it's who you are in Christ and who you are with. Will you make an uncompromising stand with Christ today? There's a reward, hidden manna, a reference to the Old Testament manna given in the wilderness, but in the New Testament... A symbol for the bread of life who is Jesus. And in the future there will be a mysterious white stone and on that stone there will be a new name for Jesus that's only known by those who will receive it. And the new name will be given to you. And perhaps we'll be able to take it as our own much like maybe in a marriage a name of His that we're to take for ourselves belonging to Him. Have Have we done what we set out to do? A passion for Christ, which will give us a desire never to compromise our faith, but have a life and have a church that glorifies God and is a witness to the world for Jesus. Well, how do we live that out? Well, we need to make a commitment today, perhaps. A right relationship with the living Lord and uncompromising obedience to the written Word. If you've not given your heart and life to Jesus today, will you do so? If you know Jesus today and you know that you need to have and make that, renew that commitment once again and ask Him to help you. Because i got to tell you, we can't be uncompromising on our own. We're weak vessels. But thank goodness where we are weak, He is strong. Let's bow together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the time in which we can come and gather together in Your name. We thank You, Father, for the opportunity to worship. We know even now, Father, that You're at work. We pray, Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. We pray that all of us as believers, we know there probably all of us have things in our life that we need to turn over to you to repent of and be uncompromising about. We pray that you may renew our commitment today so that we might be able to glorify your name and be the witness to the world that you'd have us to be. We lift these prayers up in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
I'm going to ask if you would, would you please stand? We're going to have our song of response.